Do you insist on principle that you will not be denied anything that is entitled to you? Are you that kind of person? I mean, because, you know, a lot of us are. It's like, if I have a right to something, just on principle, I'm not going to relinquish that right. I'm going to insist on it. Have you ever forgiven a debt? I mean, really just forgiven a debt. And not just forgiven the repayment of what is owed, but on a heart level, forgiven. Let it go. So I'm going to let this go, and I'm really going to let it go. I'm not going to look at you and feel a pang of, of anger or, or resentment. I'm just I'm going to let it go. What would possibly motivate us to deny ourselves rights and freedoms that we are legitimately entitled to? Why would we be people who might set those things aside? That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. And, and we're going to focus on the, the last part of, of, we're going to focus on 19 to 23, but I want to take a little bit of time just to fly over at a high altitude the first 18 verses of this chapter to understand what it is that Paul's doing. He, we just finished in, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talking about this question of the people wondering, if we're Christians, can we eat food that has been brought as a sacrifice to an idol. And Paul has said, well, you can because an idol is nothing. It's not really been sacrificed to anything. There's only one God. However, you need to be thinking about the consciences of the people around you, your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and what, you know, how do you respect them? Because there may be people who say, no, my conscience is, is it won't let me do this. I've been pulled out of this pagan culture and into Christ, and I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. So, so what Paul is saying to them is, you, you're free. You have a lot of freedom. But how you live out that freedom, you should be thinking about the people around you and the consciences of, of the people around you. So in, in 1 Corinthians 9 then, Paul is moving into a discussion about his own rights as an apostle. It seemed that there were some in, in Corinth who would say, Paul, Paul's not really an apostle. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples when Jesus was alive uh, before the resurrection. He, he, he met the risen Christ later, and his conversion came from there, but his apostleship is in question. And Paul is saying, no, I am an apostle. I am an apostle, and as an apostle, there are certain rights that I'm entitled to as I travel around Asia Minor and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the first part of this chapter, he's talking about these basic rights that he has as an apostle, and he's upholding them. He's defending them. He says he has the basic right, he has the right to have his basic needs met. He has the right to food and drink and shelter as he's moving around. He has a right to expect that from people in the work that he's doing. He says that he has a right, if he wants to, to bring a wife with him as he travels, just like other itinerant preachers have this right, and, and for her to be covered under the same provisions that, that, that he's being given. He says that he has a right to be compensated out of the funds that are collected for worship, that he has a right as an apostle to be paid for the work that he's doing. So he makes these rights, and, he, and he's not just pulling them out of thin air. He, he goes on to say, here's why I have those rights. These are reasoned, rational rights. He says, as a Jew, I have these rights. He's, he, was, he was Jewish, and he said, he said, priests were expected to partake and benefit of the sacrificial offerings that people brought. And as an apostle, that extends to me too. As a Jew, I have a right to benefit from uh, and to be supplied out of the sacrifices that people bring. As a laborer of the gospel, as a worker, he's saying, just as a, as a worker, without religion, just as a worker, I have a right to be taken care of. His work, 
came with certain expenses. And he says, you don't, you don't require a soldier to buy his own gear. You don't tell a farmer who tends a field that he can't partake of some of the harvest, even if he doesn't own the field. What Paul is doing is real. It's real work. It's time-consuming. It's been very dangerous for him. He's been working hard. And he's saying, as a laborer, a laborer is worthy of hire. And then he says, and also, it's, it's a spiritual help what I do. I bring the message of Jesus Christ to people. And if this is of benefit to you, should I not be compensated in some way for that? That's what he's saying in these verses. He's saying, I have rights, and there are reasons that I have rights as an apostle. Establishes that. Paul was a great arguer. He, was, he, he, was, he, had, a, he had a lawyer's mind. But then, after making this case for these rights that he has and the reason that he has them, he does something really unusual. And this is verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even as he's arguing for his rights, things that he is entitled to, in the same breath he tells us, I have these rights, but I'm denying myself these rights. I'm laying them aside for the sake of the gospel being heard. Preaching Christ, Paul says, is not something that is just a job. He's not a professional evangelist. He says, this is something that has been laid upon him. Verse 16, he says, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for the necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life of which you would say, this is a necessity that's been laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't do this. Is there anything in your life that fits in that category where you say, you know, I do this because I can't not do it. I have to do this. If I, woe to me if I don't do this. We're supposed to live that way, you know? That's not something that's just reserved for Paul, but that's, that's a purpose and meaning in life. Why do we do what we do? It can sound like drudgery, right? Woe to me if I don't do this. But Paul even says, he addresses this. He says in, in, in verse, uh, what is it, 18, what then is my reward? That in my preaching I might present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul's saying there's a reward in this for me of knowing that I have certain rights that I'm entitled to, but in the interest of preaching the gospel in a way to where it's not obstructed at all. I don't want to block it. I don't want to confuse people. I don't want people to think that I'm selling them Jesus Christ. And so he denies himself these rights, which leads into the text that I want us to focus on today. This is verses 19 to 23. Paul writes this, For although I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. 
Paul, what are you saying? Are you saying that once you become a Christian, you kind of aren't free anymore? Certain things you just have to do. And uh, it's a life of, of, of sacrificing and laying aside your rights. It's, it's just the way it is. Is that what he's saying? No, he's, he's not. In fact, not only here, but many times throughout Paul's writing and in the book of Acts, which tells of the activities of Paul and his missionary journeys, and you read about his experiences, Paul argues strongly, very strongly, very, very strongly, that the fundamental core reality for every Christian is that they are radically free. That if you're a Christian in this room right now, the freedom that you have in Christ is unparalleled. If you're a Christian, your conscience is bound by one alone, and that's by the Lord. Your conscience is bound by God, not by anybody else. That's how free you are. You're free to eat what you want. You're free to marry who you want. You're free to live out whatever, whatever vocation you believe that the Lord has called you to. You are free. Romans 8, Paul writes in Romans 8, this beautiful chapter of Scripture, which just takes us to this pinnacle of beauty when he's talking about Christian freedom. He starts with this statement that if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation, none. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends that chapter by saying, and there's no separation either. There's no condemnation and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's how free you are. You're so free because you're so kept and held and loved and pardoned and forgiven and cleaned and given an identity in Christ. You're so free. Nothing, nothing can assail that. You want to hear a beautiful expression of what it means to be so free? The Heidelberg Catechism. These old catechisms were ways that people would learn uh, theology. They would learn doctrine. And, and these catechisms would, you know, there's the Westminster Confession of Faith and Shorter and Longer Catechism. There's all kinds of these things that exist out there. But question one was usually an, an important one, right? It was sort of the question that they would ask that would sort of get the ball rolling on why it even matters to think through what it is that we believe. And the Heidelberg Catechism has the opening question that is maybe one of the most beautiful of them all. Uh, the question is beautiful, and the answer is beautiful. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And as you read this response, this answer, read it through the filter of what it's saying about what it means to be free as a Christian, liberated. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is there comfort? That's beautiful. That's a beautiful statement. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus, who has given himself for me. And nothing can break that. We're talking about a kind of liberty for Christians where no one but Christ has the power to bind your conscience and neither can anyone force a substitute identity on you. Radical freedom. 
Christians talk a lot about what Christ sets us free from, right? We're pretty good at that. Pretty good at saying he sets me free from temptation, he sets me free from pornography, he sets me free from greed, he sets me free from, you fill in the blank. But have you ever thought about what he sets us free for? If you spent this week just studying scripture, reading about what he sets us free for, and a way to do this is take the Ten Commandments, these thou shalt nots, and ask yourself, what are the positives of these? What are the positives of these? What is this, if, if thou shalt not lie is a command, what is the, the positive of that? You can be free to be honest. You can be free to tell the truth without having to sugarcoat it or pat it. You're, you're free to serve. And you don't need anyone to praise you for serving because your identity is in him. You're free to appreciate the investments that others have made in your life regardless of the skill or the competency with which they've made those investments. What I mean by that is, maybe you had it rough with your parents growing up. And maybe you look at your parents and you think, they did a lot of things wrong. But as a Christian, you're also free to be genuinely thankful for the things that they did right. And to know that that's come from, that, that came from the Lord. That was God's gift, His grace to you. You're free to work with purpose beyond just a paycheck. You are free to be honest about your limits and your shortcomings. You're free, oh, this is a good one, you're free to rest. You're free. In Christ, you're free to have a Sabbath, a Sabbath for your heart and for your soul, to rest, to say, I'm tired. I'm tired. And you have the Lord on your side saying, you were made to get tired rest. You're free to take joy in being alive and having a hope, having a reason for the hope that is in you. Paul not only believes in these kinds of freedoms, but he fights for them. So Paul is not denying freedom. He's saying, as a Christian, you are so radically free. You're so radically free, nothing can take your freedom away from you. And yet in today's text, he also upholds this idea, doesn't he, of setting aside some basic freedoms because he doesn't want to obstruct the gospel in any way. Can you set aside your basic rights and freedoms without losing your identity in the process? This is really the question, isn't it? Can I set aside my rights and my freedoms without losing myself? Without becoming just a doormat, just somebody that gets walked all over? That really depends, doesn't it, on where your identity comes from. What gives you your identity? Where do you find this? Paul isn't just talking about surrendering rights and freedoms. He's talking about doing it with a reason. He has a reason why he's doing this. You saw it many times in here. But he says he does this because he's wanting to win some. He's wanting people to know Christ. He's building a bridge toward others. Paul is saying, I have these rights and I'm denying myself these rights in order to build a bridge to people that they might come to know Christ. And you see this, right? To the Jews, he becomes a Jew, which means that he probably observed some basic Jewish customs when he was around Jewish people, even though as a Christian, he didn't have to. Paul became a person who was sensitive to religious racial, economic, educational, and traditional customs of those around him, and he didn't insist on his right to live as he pleased, even though he does maintain as a Christian, I can live as I please before the Lord. 
So what drove him to this? To win some, we've talked about that already. But what's the other reason? The fundamental underlying reason of why Paul would do this. We've already said he's not a professional evangelist. So then what is he? What is driving him to lay down some of his rights? And I have a short little video that might help us understand what really drives Paul to lay down some rights and freedoms. So, does that make it clear? What possesses a person to leave their home, to leave the safety of what's familiar and secure and unpredictable, or unpredictable, to go into what is unpredictable, and to go into what is wild and unsafe? There was a point in Paul's life, like the octopus in the video, where he got shot out of the only life that he knew and there was no plan B. There was no plan B. So what drove him? Love. We, we resonate with this cartoon because we, we understand, all of us, on some fundamental level, what it means to be driven out of something in the pursuit of love. Driven by love. Paul was a man whose life had been turned upside down by the love of Christ for him. This love where he's holding everything loosely now. And he knows 
that he belongs with Christ. He's been turned up, his life has been turned upside down. He's in the process. He, he was in the process when Christ found him of becoming a, a cruelly self-righteous criminal of a man. And, and the Lord meets him in that and rescues him and gives him new life, gives him a new identity. And if you're in Christ Jesus, he's done that for you too. He's done that for you too. And Paul talks about this in the, at the end of this verse. He says, I do this, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul knows that the gospel has been entrusted to him. He also knows that he doesn't own the gospel. He knows that he's not a professional evangelist, but he is a person whose life has been changed by the love of God. He knows that people's eternal destinies are at stake here. And we should never, ever, ever take that lightly. And he knows that there is real joy in embracing the beautiful reality of Christ's life and death and resurrection on a broken and spiritually dead person's behalf. It's a blessing for Paul and a joy for Paul to see others come to know Christ because together with them, he has the benefit of once again delighting in the love of God for him. And he wants this. He's, he's been so captured by the love. It's not the strength of Paul's love for Jesus, by the way, that is driving him. It's the strength of Jesus' love for Paul that is driving him in this way, that is taking him out of the proverbial tank and on to this adventure for the sake of being with the one that he loves regardless of what it means for him. He so wants to follow in the path of his Savior that he's willing to give up his own life for the sake of making plain the story of the grace of God so rich and free for him. So I want to ask you, can you, can you set aside your right to yourself in the interest of becoming all things to all people without losing your identity? And the answer is yes, you can. And the reason is this, because your ultimate identity can't be given to you by anyone but Christ. And the identity he gives those who believe in him is that we're not even citizens of this world but that we're co-heirs with him, that we're his children, that we're children of the Father, that God loves us with the perfect love of a father for his children, and that Christ loves us with the perfect love of a groom for his bride. That's who we are. And so what's that mean? It means that if you're a Christian, this is who you are, and your identity is so radically unmovable that you're free. You're free to set aside rights. I don't need that money back from Monty to know that I have respect, to know that I'm not a complete fool. I'm the beloved child of God. You can set aside your right to your time. You can set aside your right to your money. You can set aside your right to how many relationships you're going to invest in this year. You can set aside your right to personal self-expression precisely because your identity is so immovably sure. Setting aside these rights and freedoms is not an act of relinquishing your freedom, but it is an act of embracing it without fear, knowing that nobody can change it. Nobody can take away who you are if you're in Christ. I pray that God would make us a people who do this, that we would be a people who would build bridges into the lives of others, even if it costs us, even when it costs us, for the sake of sharing with them in the joy of being known and loved by God. I want to take a few minutes here 
as we um, close, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and then we're going to have a few minutes of just time to reflect. And here's, here's what I want to invite you to <clears throat> reflect on. There's a question up here. <clears throat> so Paul's building bridges into people's lives, and he's doing this through what he's, what he's giving and also with what he's, he's letting go of. And I want to ask you this question. If you're a Christian in this room, can you name one person that this summer, let's get specific, name, name a person that this summer you want to build a bridge to? Not, not, to, not, not, to be, not to be a professional evangelist, but somebody that you are wanting to move toward in a way where you're saying, I, I want to step into your world. I want to step into your understanding. I want to understand your worldview. I want to walk with you. I'm not saying if you want to talk to me and you want to know about Christ, you have to come over to me, but I want to come over to you. Can you think of one person? And, and how might the Lord use you in that this summer? So that's what I want us to do. I want us to take a few minutes just to, to think about this. If you have a journal or whatever, I really do want to challenge you. Write down a name. Name a person. Even if you're not writing it down in a journal, a name. Not just a general, I'd like to do this for people. Um, but think of somebody and ask the Lord how he might use you to build a bridge for the gospel that together you might share in the blessing of knowing the love of Christ together, right?